Easter services, but they still go out and get dressed. They go out and dress up for Easter. It's about getting, going out to dinner. It's about brunch. For others, it might just be the mark of that spring is finally here. Oh, God, please let that be. But I, I did hear there's possible snow tomorrow. Did you hear that? Yeah, an inch. Like, I, I, it, should, it shouldn't up to three. All right, Susie, stop. So there are people here. So, so here, here's what I think based on, on those kinds of thoughts. I think there are people here who believe but still wonder. There are people here this morning who believe but still wonder, is there more to this life than this life? Is there more than just my job? Is there more than just career? Is there more than my current circumstance? There must be more. And I think there's probably some other people who are here who wonder how people movies. And they're thinking, this isn't another episode of Walking Dead, as far as I know, and it just doesn't happen. That the resurrection story is a myth, it's a legend, that people told stories and other, others heard those stories and they told those stories again and the story expanded and fabric became fabricated and exaggerated over the centuries. And so there are some who just wonder how people can believe. And then there are some here who are wondering if I can ever believe again. See, you once believed, but then life and difficult questions cause you to lose your faith. And so life overwhelmed your belief. And so either stressful jobs or broken families or broken relationships or health issues have taken over your belief. Or maybe it was only a belief from your youth. And now skepticism has caused you to have a lack of belief. And so the circumstances of life have left you wondering, will I ever believe again? So here's what I want all of us to remember this morning. It's very simple. It's two words. Easter matters. Easter matters. The events that we've remembered over the last few days from Palm Sunday to Easter is really quite a disturbing story. It's the most awful event in human history. It's when humanity killed God. And it's also, at the exact same time, the greatest event in human history. God chose to save humanity. It is awful and great in the same event. That's why Easter is the key event in Christian history. Now, somehow, Easter has been um, overtaken by Christmas in popularity. And you can see that pretty easily. Uh, nobody here, I'm sure, filled out Easter cards and sent them out. With, to family and friends. You cannot, I've been watching the advertisements, and while there are Black Friday sales like crazy, there was not a single Good Friday sale advertised. Right? Right? There is no show on TBS called The Easter Story that plays for 24 hours over and over and over again like the Christmas story does, right? No one is out shopping to find the perfect Easter gift for somebody. So somehow Christmas has taken over its popularity, right? Now, I'm not suggesting Christmas isn't important. It's the incarnation. God becomes human in the form of uh, as Jesus, and we celebrate Christmas as an incredibly important event. But the resurrection, Easter, changes everything. 
See, it's a reminder that Jesus rose from the dead, that love is stronger than hatred, that hope is stronger than despair, and that life is stronger than death. It reminds us that nothing, whatever may be happening in your life, nothing is impossible with God. See, choose to not believe in the resurrection, and Jesus is just another good teacher. He's just a prophet. But believing in the resurrection and your whole life changes. Easter matters. And in the next few minutes, let me see if I can help make that case. So we have to go back to do that and go back to Good Friday for just a moment. Good Friday was uh, the, uh, the day that we, we call Good Friday is the day that Jesus was crucified on the cross. And I want to uh, read to you. You just need to listen, though. Uh, most of it's not on the screen, but we will have one verse at the end that's on the screen. I just want you to hear these words. I'm reading from Mark chapter 15. It says, At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. And then at 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema. Sabathne, that's as close as I could get, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And I talked last week that this is the moment when the sin of the world was placed on Christ and God turned his back on his son. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Verse 35 says, some of the bystanders, and I have in my Bible bystanders circled because I realized that there were people who were just, ha just happened to be there. They weren't lovers, followers of Jesus, and they weren't those that hated Jesus. They just happened to be there. They were bystanders. They were just there. It says, some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. So one of them ran and filled the sponge with some sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so that he could drink. And another said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes down to take him. And then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And then this verse up on the screen. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. So there's a Roman officer there. Some scriptures say a centurion who was standing and facing him, and he's there doing his job. He's a bystander. He's just there because it's his shift. He's seen many crucifixions. This is not new to him. He's just doing he on this day. He has no opinion of Jesus. He's not a follower, and he's not a hater. He's the Switzerland of Jesus. He's just there. He has no opinion either way. But something happened. Mark says that this man saw how Jesus had died and he exclaimed, truly, this was the Son of God. So he saw or heard something that changed his perspective. Something happened. Something was different about the way this criminal was being crucified. Something was different about his response. Something happened. And so I circled bystander because I realized that Easter can be a bystander event. That there could be people here, people will engage throughout the day that are 
just have no opinion of Jesus. They're not a follower. They're not a hater. They just are a bystander. They just are here. They just will be there. Maybe they're just putting in time until the next event. Easter matters. So I want to read to you another uh, scripture. Matter of fact, it's a scripture we just read together. Randy led us through. And part of that has an explanation of, uh, of Easter for us. And I think it's important. And Paul was writing to the church in Corinthians. And that church, it's one of my favorite. It might be my favorite church. Like if you had the name of favorite church, After Hope, my second favorite church would be the church in Corinth, okay? And the reason I like the church in Corinth is that they were a brand new church, and they they were figuring things out as they were going along. Like, they didn't know what they were doing because they were all brand new Christians. So imagine a whole group of people all coming to Christ at the same time, all deciding to follow Jesus, and then they're going, all right, who's in charge? All right, we'll let you be in charge because you had some leadership experience, but you've never followed Jesus either, but we're going to figure this out. And so Paul would have to write to these folks, and he would have to tell them, hey, here are some things you're not doing. You need to change them. And you can read about it in Corinthians. And then there are other times he said, hey, you need to do this instead, all right, because you guys are really torquing it up here, and, and you shouldn't be doing that, right? So he, that's what he would do. He would write about that. And so he has this to say. Uh, it's going to be up on the screen. There it is. So Paul says, I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. This is what's most important. Paul's saying to this brand new church, this is what is most important. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. Jesus took your sin, Jesus took my sin, and it was crucified with him. And then Paul says, he was buried Your sin and my sin were buried with Jesus. And he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Sunday morning, Jesus rose. Easter happened and Easter matters. And then Paul goes on to say this. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles. And last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. So here, this is so 21st century-like. It's like Paul saying, some of you maybe think there's fake news out there. And so I'm telling you, you can check up on this because these people all saw it. Don't just believe me. Peter and the 12 and 500 of his followers and James and the apostles. He says, check up on me. It's for real. Easter matters. And so as I was prepping for this and we've been talking about this, we've been in this Jesus series for a while. We talked about uh, uh, who Jesus was, what Jesus uh, said, and, and what Jesus did. And this is kind of the last week in that as we've been prepping for this and thinking about how do, how do, we, how do we communicate that Easter matters. And then I, I ran across this quote. And, and so the way that happens is you, uh, the way I do it is uh, you sit at your computer and you put up, pull up google.com and you type in words like Easter matters and see what happens <laughs> you know, and just like, roll the dice, right? And, uh, or you, uh, uh, you type in things like crucifixion, so what? And see what happens. And uh, something you got to figure out who you're reading just to make sure. Uh, but uh, I was doing that and I found this quote from Leon Morris. The cross is the victory. 
The resurrection is the triumph. The resurrection is the public display of the victory, the triumph of the crucified one. And I just kind of had it there, and I cut and pasted it and threw it into a document, and it just kind of sat there for a while. And then I printed out the, the, all the different quotes I had had, and I just kind of left them, and they're sitting on my desk. And if you see my desk during message prep time, there's papers all over and post-it notes, and it kind of just sits there. And it's kind of a cluttered mess, and you're just kind of like, then I have magic marker, and I'm circling things and drawing lines and crossing things out. And that Kept staying, that stayed there. I couldn't get rid of it. It wouldn't go away. I, I, I know it fits somewhere. I'm not sure where it's going or what it means or why I want it there. And then I, I, I got stuck on victory and triumph. The cross is the victory. The resurrection is the triumph. And I thought those words are kind of the same. Aren't they interchangeable? So why is the cross the victory? Why isn't the cross triumph? Why isn't the resurrection the victory? So then I did the next thing you do after Google is you go to dictionary.com. So I went to dictionary.com and I looked up victory. And victory is an act of defeating an enemy or opponent in a battle, game, or other competition. I thought, all right, I get it. The cross is the victory. That's where the enemy is defeated. My sin, your sin, was defeated. That's good. And then I looked up triumph. Dictionary.com says triumph is joy or satisfaction resulting from a success or victory. Now, I didn't like that they used the word victory there because that didn't help me, right? And I still thought these words are interchangeable. So what's the difference between victory and triumph? And then dictionary.com had one of those two second definitions. And the second definition opened up everything for me. The signal entry of a victorious general into ancient Rome. And I went, yeah, just like you, I went, aha, because then I remembered Paul, the writer of Corinthians, who wrote to that church that kept screwing things up and had to be corrected all the time, he mentions triumph. And so up on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says this, but thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now, Paul's writing to this church in Corinth. It's a Roman city. And so a triumphal procession or a triumph would be have incredible meeting to this church. A triumph was the highest honor that could be given to a victorious general. It was a parade that would be a once-in-a-lifetime type of parade. To attain this honor, a Roman general had to have certain criteria met. And here are the criteria. It had to be... The general couldn't be a general that met, uh, had an office and just sent off orders to the field. It had to be a general who was in command at the field. The campaign must have been completely finished and the victorious troops had all been brought home. Third, 5,000 of the enemy, at least, must have fallen in one engagement. All right, that's a lot. In one engagement, 5,000 of the enemy defeated. So this is an honor given to someone who's planned and led and was successful in an expansive war. It also had to be a positive extension of territory must have been gained. This is not an attack for, that, that came. This had to be out to gain uh, land for the, and, 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 and status for the Roman Empire. And it couldn't have been a civil war. It had to be over a foreign foe. Very select 
very specific. And then the procession had this incredible order to it. First, the state officials and the Senate will come out first, and then there would be trumpeters that would follow after, and then all the spoils from the war would be gathered and paraded down the center of Rome. And then they would take pictures of the conquered lands, or they'd have models drawn of the citadels and the ships that were destroyed, and they would be paraded down. That sounds just the floats, right? Parade floats down the center. Then they would walk all the captives, all the princes and the leaders and the generals would all be in chains. And then there would come all the other musicians. The trumpeters are already up. They're like three blocks ahead now. All right, then the, but now all the musicians would come out. And then there would be priests. And the priests would be uh, waving censers that would be filled with sweet-smelling incense. And then would come the general himself on a chariot drawn by horses. And he would have in his hand an ivory scepter with a Roman eagle on top. And over his head, there'd be a slave behind him holding up the crown of Jupiter. And then behind the general would march his family and finally came all the army wearing all the decorations and shouting loud cries of triumph. Not every general received a triumph. Only generals who had been involved in an expansive campaign and successfully completed their mission. This was a tremendous day that might only happen once in a lifetime. And so this is what Paul is talking about. This is what Paul's envisioning. Paul says uh, uh, that this is about marching triumphantly through the world and that we are part of this. That Good Friday was and Good Friday is the victory and Easter is the triumph. See, on Good Friday, while on the cross, Jesus died for your sins and for my sins, and your sins and my sins were buried with Jesus. And the followers of Jesus thought they had lost. And the enemy, the enemies of Jesus, thought they had won. But as Bob Goff said on Twitter this week, and then heaven started counting to three. Isn't that awesome? It's like the best thing I read all week. Heaven started counting to three, and on Sunday, see the victory's already been won, but on Sunday, Jesus showed us that our past will not define us, that our past does not end us, and our past is gone, and a new life has begun. Paul said, again in Corinthians, you just love this book, he says this, what this means is that those who became Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore, someone help me finish it, for the Old life is gone, right? Hold on. The old life is gone. That's the victory. And then it says, a new life has begun. That's the triumph. Now, I'm trying to figure out how do we bring this all in. I just talked a lot about Rome, and you folks are going, so what? Oh, well, awesome. And we'll leave this next part out, but I think this next part is really good. So victory is a moment while triumph is a celebration of that victory. And I thought, when have we seen that? And I thought, February 4th, there was a victory one. <laughs> right? That was a victory, wasn't it? Here's what happened. The Eagles won the Super Bowl. And that victory happened right then. They won when evil Tom Brady dropped a pass. Uh-huh. 
they won. The victory was secured when underdog Nick Foles caught a touchdown pass, right? The Philly special. He caught that pass. Victory is sure. They had victory on February 4th, 2018. But the triumph, the triumph, when did the triumph happen? February 8th. February 8th. Millions of people. Anybody was there? Yeah. You crazy people. You people are crazy. You're crazy. The triumph was February 8th. See, and that triumph gets to continue through 2018 and beyond. Why? Because we wear jerseys and we wear hoodies proclaiming what? World champions. It's the triumph. Victory happened. The triumph continues. That's the triumph. The victory is a moment in time. The triumph is living in that moment for all time. Easter matters. It may even not all make sense to you. I am sure the soldier, when he, proclaimed, when he proclaimed, surely this was the son of God, he had questions. He didn't have it all figured out, but he was beginning. He moved from bystander to believer in that moment in time. Easter dramatically impacts life. Easter tells us that he found and that you and I can stop looking for it everywhere else. Easter tells us that God is faithful, that God never forgot nor turned away from his promise, that God didn't grow weary, nor would God be distracted, that God made a promise, and at just the right moment, Jesus would come and fulfill what had been promised. The resurrection teaches us that we can't put limits on God. On the way to our redemption, there is absolutely no limit to what God can do. God is faithful. Easter matters. It tells us that God is powerful. That when you're feeling weak and inadequate and unable, remember the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is yours as a child of God. Easter matters. If God could do this, there is simply nothing inside or outside of you that God is unable to handle. The empty tomb stands as an eternal promise to you that God will always finish what he has begun in you and for you. Easter tells us that God is loving, that God loves us enough that he'd rather die than live without us. Easter tells us that God's love is not motivated by what God sees in you or what God sees in me, but by what is inside of God. And even when we're unloving and even when we're rebellious, even when we're full of ourselves and wanting our own way, God is still loving. And God delights in transforming us from, by God's grace and rescuing us by his love. Easter matters. Eternity is guaranteed. No matter how mundane or routine or slowly progressing your story and life seems to be, it's marching towards an incredibly glorious conclusion. Eternity is real and available because Jesus conquered death and sin. Easter matters. No matter how unpredictable and how out of control your life feels, Jesus is reigning and he will continue to reign until every enemy is defeated. And that doesn't mean you'll avoid the groanings of life in a broken world, but it does mean there's nothing that can separate you from the loving and protecting hand of God.
But let me go back to that Paul verse just for a second. It's not up on the screen, just hear it. He has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession, right? So this, this, that's this incredible once-in-a-lifetime parade that we get to experience as Easter people. That the victory happened at the cross, and now as living as Easter people, we are the triumph. And then he says this, now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. We are the triumph. Easter isn't just a date on the calendar. It's not a one Sunday a year event. Our lives are Easter. Our lives are the triumph. How we live is a celebration of the victory. It's a celebration of what Christ has done, that God is faithful and powerful and loves us like no other, and that eternity is for real and possible. We are the triumph. And as we live as Easter people, others will see us. And others will question, how is it possible in the midst of the struggle they're experiencing, how is it possible as they're going through this episode in life, how is it possible they can live like this? How is it possible that they can have this kind of love and this kind of expression and this kind of excitement about life? It's the triumph. It's that we're wearing jerseys that say world champion. We're wearing jerseys that say, the victory has been won. My sin was crucified. And now I'm living the triumph. And the world sees that. And we're a procession through the center of Rome of all that God can do in the lives of people. Easter matters. And so I, before I wrap up here, let me just say this. I am sure that there are bystanders here. Easter is just happening all around you. Or maybe you once believed. And it all just seems so impossible now. Easter is either the biggest event in human history or it's the biggest hoax. There's only two options. And it's a miracle. And by definition, a miracle is something that can't be explained. But I can tell you that Easter changed my life. Changed my life dramatically. I was headed in the wrong direction in every way and every sense. But because I discovered that Jesus loved me enough to forgive me and took my sin and killed it on the cross and buried it with him and resurrected, my life has changed. That's the only explanation I can give you. That Easter matters. And like that Roman soldier, like the other bystanders who would have been there at the cross, you too can move from bystander to believer. And you can live in Jesus' victory. And the triumph can be yours. It's very simply 
declaring as the soldier did, truly this must be the Son of God. And so Jesus, will you forgive me? And I will make you the leader of my life. So the band's going to come up and lead us in a closing song. Let me pray for us. And so Jesus, we thank you. Thank you, God, that we get to celebrate you today. That the tomb could not hold you, the grave could not stop you. That my sin was not too much, that our sin was not too much. That, God, you conquered it. And we have new life. Thank you, Jesus. And God, here in this room, there may be men and women who really, before they came in, they had no opinion. It was just part of Easter tradition, maybe. And God, I pray that as we spend these moments reflecting and singing, Soldier, truly this was the Son of God.